Hello, hello, Susanna here, and back with episode 11 of On Call with Angel MD, the podcast at the intersection of healthcare, technology, and finance. I know I say it every episode, but I'm going to say it again. Please rate and review us on iTunes, and if you're listening from SoundCloud, give us a like and a follow or a comment. Thank you for your feedback in advance, and if you have friends you think would enjoy On Call, feel free to stick the link up there on your Twitter or your Facebook or your LinkedIn. We would love to have more listeners. We're doing something a little different this week for On Call. This episode is actually an episode of a new podcast we'll be launching for premium members of AngelMD. You can find more information about premium membership in the link in the description. But this podcast is going to be called Startup Insider, and it's going to focus on -on one-on-one interviews with our CEO, Tobin Arthur, and the CEO of companies that will be open for investment on AngelMD. So this first episode is with a company called Indago, and I think you're going to find them really interesting. And without further ado, here is Startup Insider. Hello, everyone. This is Tobin Arthur. I am the CEO of AngelMD. And in today's Startup Insider podcast, I am joined by two entrepreneurs that are behind a company called Indago based in Cleveland, Ohio. Eugene Malinsky and Daniel Dudley. And thanks for joining. And uh, we look forward to learning a little bit more about you and about the company uh, for the next couple of minutes. Why don't we start with that? And uh, Eugene, just tell us what it is Indago is doing, what you guys are, what your goals are, and then maybe tell a little bit about yourself, followed by Daniel. All right, perfect. Um, so, uh, uh, again, thank you for having us uh, for this podcast. Uh, the background uh, on Indago is that we are uh, obviously a medical device company, but we really are looking to bring around the next generation operating group. Um, and our first uh, foray into doing that is a device called Arthrofree. So, uh, currently, uh, if you walk an operating room, especially an orthopedic operating room, it very much looks like a big uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and even 30 years ago. One of the uh, biggest changes that's really happened has been the move from the CRT screen to the LCD screen. And uh, everything else is pretty much kind of the same, uh, with some exception about uh, robotics and the surgical support. Um, so uh, our goal and our, our vision is really this a greater vision of the interoperable uh, operating room that everybody's talking about, but it really hasn't happened. And, and we really want to see that uh, actually uh, exist. And as I mentioned, our first device, Arthrofree, is the world's uh, first fully wireless, minimally invasive camera system. So uh, in the orthopedic sense, uh, it is a wireless arthroscopic camera. And uh, the sort of the claim here, claim to fame, as well as sort of the technology behind it, lets us eliminate uh, both the uh, video cable as well as the fiber optic light cable, uh, because we've got a built-in novel light engine based on a completely novel in-house developed technology, as well as uh, wireless transmission uh, using uh, a very uh, advanced uh, wireless modality uh, called uh, ultra wideband. Um, so that's the very short version of uh, Indago as well as Arthrofree. Um, and again, Arthrofree is the first device in what we see actually as a family of devices in order to help physicians be able to help patients. So 
just taking a break, uh, a little bit about myself. Um, my background is um, I'm an entrepreneur. I've actually had a company one sort or another since I was about 16. We had an exit in my early 20s in the uh, sort of IT networking space. Um, I started uh, prior to Indago, I was the CEO of a company called Dragon ID. Uh, that's where Daniel joined me and our third co-founder, uh, Ilya, joined me as well. And uh, Dragon ID was a medical device uh, consulting company, pretty much a, a pinch-hit team uh, that uh, we grew fairly large uh, here in Cleveland, but we were a pinch-hit team helping physicians, uh, other entrepreneurs, institutions, as well as companies with uh, class two and class three medical devices in the uh, orthopedic, uh, wearable, cardiac, and neuro space. And uh, we did that fairly successfully for a number of years. Uh, as an example, I was on the Forbes 30 Under 30 uh, for work that we did there. Uh, we won a number of other awards uh, for some of our other projects. So we did that pretty successfully for a number of years. But uh, one of the things that we realized was that we were doing work for other people, right? It was very interesting, incredibly exciting work. But at the end of the day, this was work for other people. And we saw very fundamental problems in the operating room. Anytime we saw we were in a surgery, anytime we worked with a physician, um, we saw these cables and we saw this workflow uh, in an OR as a very fundamental issue. And uh, we had an opportunity to move away from being this uh, consulting company to really being able to do our own thing. And uh, that's what uh, Indago is, is uh, again, uh, a company focused on uh, this next generation OR. You know, with, uh, with Eugene and our other co-founder, I, I think that what's really exciting about us is that we all have you know, different but complementary backgrounds. Eugene obviously, obviously comes from this medical device and clinical background. He he didn't mention this, but he also spent a number of years in the operating room um, as, a, as an EMT um, and working, you know, in in that kind of capacity. I, however, come from um, more of the the business and, and marketing world. I spent a number of years working at B two B agencies, specializing in healthcare, financial services, and manufacturing. So really working with key stakeholders and opinion leaders in companies everywhere from startup all the way to Fortune 500, you know, really understanding what is, is relevant to, their, um, to the consumer, what's relevant to the, the end user, and you know, how, do you, how do you make those connections, especially in a place uh, like a B2B uh, business or, or in a um, you know, kind of a, an interesting B2B2C business such as that you would find in a hospital setting. So I did that for a number of years. I've also spent um, my time at a number of different startups in Cleveland and in New York City, and just uh, through and through entrepreneur, I think as well. You know, I've run my own company in the past. Um, so the, the other thing that I wanted to just kind of recap on what Eugene was saying about Indago was that really when we started this company, it, it was about um, taking stock of what had been going on in the operating room and, and looking at the advancements that we'd seen. And yes, there have been some pretty amazing things that have happened with the Da Vinci and with some of the stuff with 3D printed implants, but they're really focused on the patient or in edge case scenarios where you're looking at the most difficult surgeries 
But by and large, the bread and butter surgeries, the the bulk of what you're seeing happening is done with technology that has really been been fundamentally unchanged for the past few decades. You're thinking about surgical saws and hammers and screws, especially in orthopedics. And so we really saw this as an opportunity as a team of clinicians and technologists and futurists to say, look, we're seeing we're we're living in a world that's changing at the speed of light. We have autonomous driving, we have big data. Every day there's a new innovation that's coming out of Silicon Valley or Silicon Alley or or any number of places, but that's really not not being translated to the extent that we really feel that it should be in the operating room, in, in the place where physicians are, are making differences, they're saving people's lives, they're changing people's lives. And that's really the underlying or overarching mission, so to speak, of Indago is how can we create that operating room of the future, creating smart surgical tools? You know, we've been talking about an interoperable, interconnected, tech-enabled operating room for the better part of the past decade, if not longer. But we've we were just frustrated seeing what, what we saw as, as slow change and started this coming to really jumpstart that that progression. That's a, it's a great intro from both of you. And, and Daniel, thanks for that. Um, it's interesting, last night I was talking with an orthopedic uh, trauma surgeon in Florida, and we were chatting about some other things. And I mentioned Indago, then I was going to be chatting with you guys today. And he went on to AngelMD and was looking over the profile and mirrored exactly what you just said, which is that most of the tools and things that influence his work have been largely unchanged. And uh, he, he said this was very promising. And as you guys know, the company was introduced to the network. We're very fortunate to have a lot of world-class physicians involved with AngelMD. And two of those are Dr. Mark, Mark Freumson, uh, based in Cleveland, and Dr. Brian Parsley, based in Houston, both, uh, interestingly, former presidents of AUKUS, the Hip and Knee Society, and both of them are, are huge fans of, of you guys uh, personally, as well as the concept. So you come with, with high marks, and, you know, as a community of physicians, any tool that's ultimately going to serve physicians is going to be of, of great interest. I, I like how you differentiated. A lot of things that we do invest in are things that are certainly directly applying to patient problems, but uh, certainly once in a while when there's something that influences or benefits physicians, that is well received. Let's dive into a couple of things just a, a little bit more in detail. So walk me back just a little ways. You know, what was, how did you guys decide on, as you mentioned, this, this may ultimately be a family of products uh, if the company isn't bought first, um, but the first product, OrthoFree. Um, tell us a little bit about how this became the the point, you know, the tip of the spear, so to speak, for the company, and where are you at in the development of this in terms of uh, time timelines or milestones? All right, absolutely. So, um, I guess going back again a little bit in time, and, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, when we, as I mentioned, when we work with physicians um, at, at the prior company, we got to spend quite a bit of time in operating rooms and the tables so so it was an incident that i saw i actually saw uh, uh, a nurse uh, trip over um, the fiber optic cable and nearly hurt herself um, pretty significantly and that sort of set off an entire exercise in thinking about 
well, does this cable need to be here? How many other cables are there? Why is this happening? Um, and that sort of set up uh, a larger conversation that we ended up having with um, our chief uh, uh, clinical um, uh, champion. So uh, our chief clinical champion is Dr. James Williams uh, at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, specifically at Euclid Hospital. Uh, he uh, uh, is the director of the orthopedic division. And um, we had a conversation with him, a very early pre-prototype, pre, almost pre-company conversation saying, Dr. Williams, like, look, this is an issue that we see that is a fundamental problem, but we just want to make sure that this isn't just us, right? It's very easy to fall into the trap of, hey, we think we have a good solution. It's, it's very, very important to make sure that we talk with clinicians on the ground to make sure it really is a good solution. And the, the question we asked him was, is this something that we would be interested in? And he instantly turned around and replied, Oh my God, I've been thinking about this for the last 10, 20, really 30 years. And not just me, but my entire staff, like how going wireless would be such a fundamental game changer, right? Not just from me as a physician and, and my ease of use, but also from a safety profile in the operating room, the sterilization profile. And, and he just like rattled off all of these things. And we were honestly taken aback at first because that was that's our job, right? That's our job to to promote the product. But here was a physician who had, doesn't even have anything in his hands uh, and is already incredibly excited. So um, we were able to uh, take uh, his words, his advice, and some of the suggestions. Um, and then we talked with a few other physicians, and we heard the exact same thing. So based on that. Uh, we were then able to uh, create our first prototype, which was incredibly rough, but uh, we took that prototype to a cadaver lab, uh, again, of the clinic, um, and again, with uh, uh, Jim, with Dr. Williams, and we had a few industrial designers in there, a few investors, uh, our team, and uh, instead of it being sort of a 10-minute, hey, this works, this is great, uh, it ended up being an almost hour-long session of, again, Dr. Williams talking to everybody and saying, look, look what I can do with just this very early prototype and imagine the future. Um, and that was fantastic, obviously, for, for everybody. So yeah. you go ahead, Anna. Oh, yeah, I was just going to pick it up from there and say that, you know, really from those initial conversations, we our background at, at Dragon ID is this biomedical engineering design consultancy was neurovascular, cardiovascular, and orthopedics. And we really felt from the beginning that, you know, this, is, this isn't a next-generation technology. This has the potential to be a generation-skipping technology. And orthopedics, we felt, was the, the lowest-hanging fruit, that if we could find something and we could create a, a real world-class product for arthroscopy, the opportunity to leverage that across any type of minimally invasive surgery is pretty expansive. And so from the, from the beginning, that's always what we have been doing. From that initial prototype, in that cadaver lab three years ago to today is building this technology and building it in such a way that it really is a platform. This isn't a, hey, we have one product and, and once we have that product, let's let's go and, and make a new version for, you know, a for endoscopy or, or for GI or for OBGYN. This was really 
research and development specifically focused around building a flexible platform that allowed us to build once and deploy multiple times. So from that perspective, where we are today is we've completed the research and development for that platform. We have um, a we have working prototypes um, that are you know they function and, and complete all of the the tasks that we've set before them. And where we really are today is at an inflection point between what I'm saying, what I'm calling research and development phase and the manufacturing phase. We're taking all of the different components that we have and making sure they're fully optimized for commercial scale production. It's great to have a device, but if you can't produce it in a cost-effective manner um, on a large scale, then you know it's it's not much better than having a uh, not having a device at all. And so that's really where we are today is is in that optimization phase, um, which we look to to complete over the next few months in preparation for our FDA submission later this year, early next year, and, and market entry about Q2 2019. So that, that kind of speaks to the speed at which you think the FDA process will take. So fairly efficient, 510K, um, you're thinking a quarter or two? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a, a non de novo 510K. So it's class two based on multiple substantive predicates. From the beginning, we understood that one of the things that was going to be make or break about this was regulatory. There have been a lot of problems, especially around hospital-acquired infections and unfortunately some physician death due to sterilization concerns around um, specifically duodenoscopes, but the endoscopic surgery market more broadly. So one of the first decisions we made was to work with um, a group called MCRA, Musculoskeletal Clinical Regulatory Advisors. They're the leading musculoskeletal regulatory firm uh, in the U.S., and they have a massive success rate on first-time FDA submissions, uh, approvals for for, uh, medical devices, 510K. And so working with them from the beginning, they produce gap analyses, testing plans, protocols, all of these sorts of stuff that would set us up for success down the road. And we really use that as a roadmap to drive the development forward. We also have a full-time director of regulatory and compliance who makes sure that as we're looking to move forward, we've checked all of our boxes. We've dotted all the I's and crossed the T's. So we don't end up in a uh, position where we may have FDA approval, but we don't have the necessary regulatory paperwork in place. We don't have the DHF, et cetera. So that's, that's really been a guiding focus. And based on that, um, we think that, yeah, it's going to be a, a 90 to 110 day uh, turnaround for our FDA submission to approval. Right. And I'm going to just do a very quick add to that, just to sort of uh, put us in perspective. Um, most small companies, most companies of our size, um, whether farm or medical device, right, they don't have a full time regulatory person on staff, we've actually gone as far as we have a fully completed uh, internal uh, ISO compliant manual. Uh, later this year, we're actually expecting to get ISO 1345 uh, certification, even though we are using an external uh, manufacturer, um, we will still be ISO certified ourselves because we feel that is important. And very, very few companies, especially at our size, uh, ever uh, actually achieve that goal. That's great. Let me let me jump up. Uh, let me jump ahead a little ways, and then we'll come back. Um, so thinking out beyond the FDA 
approval. And then I realize you've got a lot to do in between here and there, and you've got to focus. But thinking a little bit about the commercialization, I'll just share a little anecdote. A number of years ago, I had um, a physician investor, a very wealthy physician, and, and I was asking him, are there characteristics of companies over your 40-year career uh, that led to lack of success in, you know, as an investor? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, without question, it's the companies that didn't know how to sell. He said, very rarely by the time we invested, did we fail technically. Uh, he said, and as everybody knows, ideas are a dime a dozen. And, and so as you guys think about the commercialization of this, and, and clearly you have a great idea and you've executed well, you've gotten a lot of work done, uh, building out the platform and preparing for FDA over the last three years. But as you look ahead a little bit further into mid-2019, mid mid, uh, how do you think about the commercialization of this? The cost of it, maybe a little bit about the high-level strategy. You don't have to give a lot of the details, but I realize it's probably you know, too far out to have a lot of detail. But a high level, what you're, what you're thinking? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, that is uh, wiser words were never spoken, um, you know, about the, the needing to, to understand the sales process, how you get to market. And so that's one of the things that we've been very intentional about as well. Uh, the primary thing that we want to focus on is how can we maximize the ROI on our sales force um, and make sure that when we're spending money, when we're doing activities, that we're really getting that return on it. We understand that the primary competition in this space are companies like Stryker and Smith and & Nephew. They have billions in revenue, so to try to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them is a fool's errand. But um, by being very specific, and in our case, what we want to do is leverage independent distributors um, and take a regional rollout approach to really look at areas where there's high densities of orthopedic or arthroscopic surgeries and try to get into, connect with the thought leaders in those areas to really um, get our product, uh, Arthrofree, into their hospitals, into their hands, and really help them understand. Because once we really see this is kind of in a, in a similar way to uh, the evolution from a dial tone or a, touch, a um, rotary phone to a touch tone phone. There were some people who, when they saw the touchtone phone, they got it and instantly said, why am I using a rotary phone? Why do I spend my time sticking my finger in this and going around the circle? It's very inefficient. But then there were also, you know, there were the group that said, hey, you know what? I've always used a rotary phone. I don't need, I don't need this fancy new technology. And we've, we've seen that as well. You know, there's the, the physician who understands the possibility, but doesn't necessarily need it. However, mm -hmm. it's, Almost uh, it's no one I have ever met who was using a rotary phone and then tried a touchtone phone, went back and said, you know what, I prefer the touchtone phone. And we really see that as a true opportunity. So this becomes a very sticky proposition. Even if we were to say give away our first set of arthrofree to, to make that wireless operating room, if you have a physician in a 3OR hospital who goes in that operating room the first day, they, or in the morning, they use the wireless system, and then they go across the hall, and they have to use a wired system. That only goes, that, that only works for too long until the level of frustration of moving between, you know, hey, I'm, I'm untethered, I don't have to worry about tripping and tangled wires and potential fire risks and all of the things that go um, assorted with that. But then, you know, 30 minutes later, an hour later, an hour and a half later, I'm back, you know, I'm back a decade, I'm back two decades, and I have to deal with this again. We really see that as a huge opportunity. 
Um, so we've already had, uh, yeah, back in 2015, we actually had an initial uh, group of investors. And for the most part, these were orthopedic physicians from across the country, uh, California, Arizona, Ohio. Um, and uh, uh, all of these guys are actually uh, uh, well-known in the field, uh, part of ASCs or run their own ASCs. Um, and again, we've always we've always felt that in order to be successful in the market, as you said, you have to be able to sell. In order to be successful in the market, especially in a field like orthopedics, where everybody knows everybody else, you need to have those thought leaders. You need to have the physicians who are using the device day in day out, who are the first movers. And we feel that number one, a lot of them have already been there to support us, right? They were there to support us through development. We were able to send early prototypes. We were able to get feedback from them, but they've been incredibly supportive as we've built the company, as we've moved the company forward. Um, and then we continue to have discussions with uh, uh, physicians who are incredibly excited about what we're doing and really just cannot wait to get Arthur free into their surgical center because it, they are that excited about it um, and they're that interested in, in having access to it. Excellent. That's uh, simpatico with our, with our whole model. Um, you know, lastly, tell me just a little bit about the team uh, beyond the two of you and, and then maybe just share if it's, if it's different for each of you, that's fine. If it's the same thing, but what are the key things that, that worry you at this point? You know, what keeps you up at night? What are the key risks that you want to manage uh, between now and the end of the year to, to help ensure success? So maybe start with the team and then, then end with the, the risk management. All right, absolutely. So um, quick team intro. So uh, obviously myself and Daniel, our third co-founder is uh, Ilya Malinsky. He's our hard engineer. He's a, a case graduate, uh, mechanical and aerospace. Uh, he's in charge of sort of the more the more or less the hands-on development of the device. Uh, he works with our uh, vendors. He works with uh, our supply chain partners. Um, we already mentioned our director of regulatory and compliance. Uh, his name is uh, Patrick Polito. Uh, he's got more than 10 years of experience in the space. He's also a microbiologist uh, by training as well. So uh, he's got significant experience on all sides, all the way from uh, sterilization to medical device certification. A uh, couple other members of the team, uh, we have uh, Limas Bazinskas. He is uh, one of our biomedical engineers. Uh, we have uh, Abigail Mansfield. Uh, she is uh, one of our administrative uh, folks here. We've also got two part-timers. Um, we have uh, Danielle, who is our, uh, who actually helps Patrick. She's on the regulatory side. And we've also got a gentleman named Howard Fine. Uh, he is our uh, leader on the optics. Uh, because so much of what we do and a lot of our IP and patents are around our uh, novel light engine, um, he's actually got more than 45 years of experience in the field, uh, mainly with uh, DOD, DARPA, uh, as well as academia, um, and has uh, done a fantastic job on a lot of those things. So that's um, a quick intro to the team. 
Yeah, and I think the other people to, to bring up with regards to our team is that, you know, we have a phenomenal board in place. Uh, you already mentioned our board chair, Dr. Mark Freumson. He's uh, the former chief clinical officer for Trinity Health and uh, the outgoing president of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons. We also have uh, John Serbisek. He is a former officer at Biomet and um, led the orthopedics divisions at Biomet, at Zimmer, or at um, Medtronic, and at J&J. And our third board member is uh, Jeff Hansen. Jeff Hansen is, uh, if if Mark is the hospital administrator and the surgeon, and John is kind of the, the medical device veteran and, and the person who sells into the hospitals as opposed to buys for hospitals, Jeff really is the finance guy. He started his career at Goldman, then he ran a, a fixed income fund for about a decade with about $3 billion under management, and then finally kind of hung out his own shingle and started working directly with banks to help them build successful teams and market various different types of asset classes. Originally was working with Citi and Lehman, and then kind of shifted to the, the, pro, the progeny of these larger banks. So he's been a senior advisor to Fortress Investments for about a decade. He's very close with Cowan and Company. Um, we also have a, a number of great partners that, that we work with very closely, including our primary corporate counsel is Greenberg Traurig. Um, their co-chair of Life Sciences and Medical Technologies, Dave Peck, is our primary lawyer. Um, we're members of Startup Health. Startup Health is the world's largest portfolio of digital health transformers. It's a great organization that we're very proud to be a part of. We're also part of a number of different, uh, or we've been selected to participate in a number of different uh, organizations like the NXP, uh, NXP Semiconductor Beta Program, um, a program through NASA, Adopt a City Program, and also the um, Medical Technology Enterprise Consortium, which is a uh, cross DOD collaborative effort to develop new medical technologies. And all of those different groups kind of become extensions of our teams that they, they provide us access to resources and connections that, you know, as a small team, we wouldn't have otherwise. To kind of shift gears to your second question about um, what keeps us up at night, um, I'll speak for myself, and then I guess Eugene can, can close us out. But from my perspective, I have a lot of faith as, as the marketing and business strategist. You know, I have utmost faith in the engineering team, in our regulatory team, that we have a product that does exactly what we want it to do and that we will have approval. That's not only based on the strength of uh, my conviction with the team, but also the the other subject matter experts that we've brought in to kind of verify and validate the work that we've done internally. You know, it's all fine and good for someone on our team to tell me something works, but then to go out and find people who are not connected to the company to say, hey, you know what, this is what we're doing, and to have them repeat back time and time again, yes, that that makes sense. So what it really comes down to me, um, and what keeps me up at night is is the question you mentioned earlier. Um, you can have the world's greatest product in the world, but if no one's buying it, then it doesn't really matter. And so I've been very intentional for the past few months and will continue to do um, as much as I can to really understand the marketplace, understand what are the potential scenarios that we will face uh, as we go to market, as we deploy our sales team, our distributor network, or as we deploy independent business reps. What 
and really trying to anticipate what the, the sales strategies and techniques that we will face. And that's a lot to do with the, uh, the board that we have, the board that we brought on is veterans that have both purchased medical devices and sold medical devices and give us a lot of insight to, you know, what they would do were they in our competitor's shoes and also what they would do if they were facing um, some of the things that we expect to face. And then also being very conscious with, you know, as a company that is currently pre-FDA approval on our medical device, we need to understand where we can deploy capital, where we can cultivate those relationships with industry insiders or thought leaders and, and understand how we can make the, the best first impression, second impression, third impression, and really drive that market penetration um, while being very realistic and understanding that, you know, we're not a Medtronic, we don't have $10 billion, but at the end of the day, um, what we have is a really exciting technology, technology that is utterly unlike anything that is on the market today. And you know, we just need to make sure that we put the best foot forward. Right. And then I'll pick it up from there. So, um, right. My sort of greatest fears, number one is, everybody's already mentioned, is the market entry uh, prioritizing that, understanding uh, where we can deploy the, the best, the quickest, what shows we need to go to. But also as uh, sort of CEO, I also, uh, the other things I worry about um, really have to do with uh, future hiring. Uh, I think it's more or less understood that in, in the medical device space, uh, it's getting pretty tight on uh, future hires. We do expect to grow uh, our team. Uh, we do expect, uh, obviously, we're going to have uh, sales, biz dev, um, but we're also looking forward, right? This isn't something that we're actively doing right now, but looking forward in six months and a year, um, we want to have more devices, right? We at least want to have a pipeline. We, we haven't really talked about potential exit scenarios, but even if we don't get to the point before a potential takeout, even if we don't get to the point of having additional products on the market, having a pipeline is incredibly helpful and then having the team in order to build that pipeline is something that i'm looking around and i can already see is going to be a little bit of a challenge even around the business development side right that is something that uh, we're going to have to look at very closely in the following uh, months um, and it's one of those things where finding the right internal salespeople and finding the right partners is going to be absolutely paramount. Uh, we have a lot of help, which is fantastic, but it's still very easy to make a misstep in this space. So I appreciate you jumping on this afternoon. It was nice to chat with both of you. Very articulate answers. I love what you guys are doing, and we look forward to being helpful in your journey along the way to make this thing a huge success for you guys and the physicians involved. And ultimately for the patient. So very nice work, guys. Hats off to you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to On Call with AngelMD. Visit us on angelmd.co for more information. You can follow us on Twitter at angelmd underscore Inc. or on Facebook at slash angelmd Inc. And you can find us on LinkedIn as well. I'm also on Twitter at smacha1995. As this is the first season of On Call, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us with the hashtag AngelMD On Call and let us know what you thought of the episode.
Thanks again for listening. We hope you join us again.